Yesterday, the lovely Andrea and I celebrated our 23rd wedding anniversary. Happy anniversary, sweetheart. Over dinner Friday night, we were dreaming about where we would go on our 25th anniversary, our silver. That's special, so we need to go somewhere special. Maybe Italy. Maybe an Alaskan cruise. Maybe Teaneck, New Jersey. That sounds like the start of a which-of-these-doesn't-belong kind of game. Before yesterday, I'd never heard of Teaneck, New Jersey. But it is the proud home of 40,000-plus New Jerseyans. It's also the proud home of Fairleigh Dickinson University. Again, LJ with the made-up names, really. No, that, that's not really made up. Just ask our friends from Purdue University. For four weeks in the 2023 season, the Purdue men's basketball team ranked number one in the nation, better than the rest, king of the hill, the ace, the top dog, the head honcho, the big cheese, numero uno. They went into the NCAA tournament as a number one seed. And as the tournament's custom is, the number one teams play the number 16 teams. Last season, Purdue faced off against the Fairleigh Dickinson Knights. The Knights were excited to get into the tournament, but they cut in on a technicality. They weren't even the best team in their division. Merrimack College was better. But Merrimack wasn't allowed to play, so they got to go to the big dance in March. Purdue's tallest player was 7 feet 4 inches tall. He was eligible to be the player of the year. Fairleigh Dickinson's players were around 6 feet tall, give or take a couple of inches. It was going to be a bloodbath. Purdue would destroy Fairleigh Dickinson. But at least the six-foot-tall Knights could tell their kids and their grandkids about the year they played in the vaunted NCAA tournament. Now they can tell their kids and grandkids and their friends' kids and friends' grandkids about the year they beat the nearly unbeatable Boilermakers and their seven-feet-four-inch-tall Goliath in the vaunted NCAA tournament. One writer wrote, Quote, we may never see an upset of this magnitude again, end quote. In case you're wondering, Fairleigh Dickinson lost to Florida Atlantic in the next round. <laughs> March Madness. Good day to you, Simplify listeners. You're listening to L.J. Harry, and you're listening to Two Women in a Tent Stake on Simplify. It's going to be a bloodbath. We might say the same about the face-off found in Judges chapter 4. Israel, still fairly new neighbors in the promised land, faced off against General Sisera and his savage soldiers. Poor Israel. Israel had won plenty of battles, but they hadn't faced an army that could boast nearly 1,000 chariots of iron. Israel didn't stand a chance. Until they did. Not long after Israel moved to their new permanent home in Canaan, God raised up leaders in Israel called judges. Now, don't think black robes and gavels. Think a combination of governor and military man or woman. Israel was still kind of following God, kind of. Up to this point, they have crowned no king. God was their king. And the fourth judge in line to lead God's people was a woman named Deborah. She led. She prophesied. She was one judge who held court and gave godly counsel to people who didn't know what to do. Deborah was always in first place for Woman of the Year on the cover of Israel's annual magazine. She even had a palm tree that bore her name where she held court. She had watched with her own eyes as Sisera and his multitude of military men had 
pushed Israel around and stolen their lunch money for the last 20 years. Deborah sent for a military man of her own, a man named Barak. When he arrived to talk to Deborah under her own personal palm tree, she spoke with fire in her voice. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor, and I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots of iron and his too many to count savages, and I, the Lord, will defeat them. You just have to marshal your men and march. Barak stood stunned. He was tired of Sisera too, but he didn't want to poke the bear. Who wants to intentionally draw the ire and fire of the most powerful general in the known world? The man who has been ruthlessly, relentlessly oppressing Israel for the last 20 years. Barak thought for a moment, then he answered, Okay, I'll go, but you have to come with me. Deborah might have been a little surprised, but she agreed to go. But she told Barak, A woman will get the glory for this win. It won't be you. It will be a woman. And Barak seemed okay with that. Now, we've had over 3,000 years to play armchair general with this story. It's as natural to hear my pleasure at Chick-fil-A as it is to find a scholar or commentator who throws Barak under the bus. Sermons, books, men's conference themes, Father's Day messages have maligned Barak for not having the courage to go into battle without Deborah. But what if there's more to the story? I like Barak, and I like Deborah. And I realized God spoke to Deborah to speak to Barak. God apparently didn't speak to Barak, or if he did, Barak didn't answer. So could it be Barak wanted somebody in battle with him in case he didn't know what to do, but somebody could get a hold of God to find out what to do? And how rare, but how valuable to find a man, a military man, a military man in a deeply entrenched culture that exalted honor and shunned shame, who did not care who got the credit as long as Israel got the win. Ask around to those 10,000 warriors from two tribes in Israel if they cared who got the credit just as long as they went home to their wives and littles after the war. They probably would not care. If you're in a battle for your life and you don't know if you can hear from God, you be sure to surround yourself with someone who can. Barak marched right alongside Deborah, and he called for 10,000 warriors from two tribes, just as God prescribed. Sisera picked up Israel's military maneuver on radar, and he marshaled all his 900 chariots of iron in all his armed men. The battle lines were drawn. It was an inexperienced General Barak leading 10,000 with outdated weapons against a grizzled, ruthless veteran, General Sisera, leading a lot more than 10,000 with chariots of iron. But the X factor was the presence of God was with Israel. Suddenly, Deborah got that look in her eyes, and she called out to Barak with fire in her voice, Get ready. This is the day the Lord, Yahweh, will give you victory over Sisera, for Yahweh is marching ahead of you. Barak smiled. I'm sure glad I invited her along. Barak and his small army descended the mountain into the plain, and Sisera smiled. Are you kidding me? They're bringing the battle to me on level ground? My chariots love level ground. He should have stayed on the mountain where my chariots couldn't get to him, rookie. I picture Sisera stroking his pointed goatee and laughing his devilish laugh. As Sisera and his men drove their chariots toward Barak and his men, God had a little fun. God flooded the Kaishan River and turned the plain into one massive mud puddle. 
The chariots were very heavy, very expensive, and very stuck and very useless. Sisera and his army didn't know what hit them. Sisera jumped out of his iron chariot and took off running. Barak could not believe his eyes. It was working. Israel was winning. Israel was really, really winning. Courage welled up inside of him, and they chased the retreating Canaanite army, and they would have chased Sisera, but they kept fighting his men until they killed every one of them off. Not one Canaanite soldier left standing. But Sisera got away. Maybe for a moment, Barak thought, he'll be back, and he'll bring his soldiers back again. But God had other plans. He made a promise to rout Sisera, and God would keep his word. Sisera panicked. He looked for allies. Surely somebody had to be friendly, and he found a friendly face. His old buddy Heber and his wife Jael. Heber was a Kenite, and the Kenites and Canaanites were pals. Their names even sounded alike. As Sisera walked up to Eber's tent, his wife Jael came out of the tent and invited him in. Hey, come in here. It's safe in here. Sisera looked this way and that to make sure he wasn't followed, and then he went inside the tent. He asked for a drink of water. The retreat took it out of him. He didn't have time to stop by the brook. It was retreat or die. As she went into the kitchen area of the tent, Sisera lay down and wondered where it all went wrong. This, this should have been a cakewalk. It was number one going against number 16. The game should have been over by halftime. Sisera was far more trained than his counterpart, Barak. They had far better weapons than Israel. They had far more men than Israel. While he thought, J.L. came back with some milk and a blanket. She gave him the milk to drink and covered him with a blanket. And just before he fell asleep, he told her, if anybody comes to your door asking if there's a man inside, you tell them no. You got it? Thanks to his war weariness and J.L.'s sleep aid, Sisera fell fast asleep, fast. J.L. picked up a tent peg and the hammer they used to drive them into the ground, and she crept over to Israel's arch enemy. She was taking her life in her own hands. If Sisera woke up, she was dead. That's where the milk came in handy. He was still asleep. She positioned the tent peg on the side of his head, and with one blow of the hammer, J.L. drove the peg. Sisera, in 20 years of ruthless, senseless oppression, into the ground. So much for a five-star review for staying at J.L.'s place. Moments later, Barak came running by looking for Sisera, and J.L. came out of her tent and directed Barak to Sisera's body. And the writer of the book of Judges wrote in Judges 4, verses 23 through 24, So on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. God wanted to show his people that he was with them, and all they had to do was march when he told them to march. He would do the rest. And God did all that with two women in a tent stake. Since God did all that for them, since God fought for them, he will fight for us. Even if you're in a mess of your own making, so was Israel. But when they swallowed their pride, and they repented of their sin, and they called out to God for help. God happily helped because he loves his people, and he loves to fight for his people. Let's let their story be our story. Let's swallow our pride. Repent of our sin. Let's call out to God. Let's do what he tells us to do. 
And just like he did for Israel, let's watch him fight for us. I want to pray today that the Lord would help you, whatever battle you're fighting, pray that the Lord would help you to look to him, ask him to help fight your battle. No matter what you have or don't have, it really isn't up to us. It is up to God, and all we need to do is march when he tells us to march, do what he tells us to do, put our trust in him. Lord God, I thank you for this story. I thank you for what it teaches. Thank you, God, for the principles we learn in this story. I do pray, help us to follow after you. Whatever you're telling us to do, Jesus, we will follow. Wherever you lead us, we will follow. Whatever you tell us to do, we will do it. I pray today, God, help us to have the same kind of faith that Deborah had in you and Barak had in you and JL had in you. Help us, Lord, whatever battle we're fighting, to look to you, to trust you, and to do what you tell us. And I know you will fight for us. You love us just like you love Israel. I thank you for what you're going to do for us. Give us faith. Give us confidence in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Simplify listeners. Be sure to subscribe, follow, like, share, and let others know about this podcast. Let others know about this episode. If you know somebody fighting a battle right now for their faith or for their life, would you share this episode with them and tell them what God wants to do for them? He already did it for Israel. He wants to do it for us. Also, head over to PentecostalPublishing.com. You can pick up the book, Simplify, that launched this podcast. You can pick up the book, Ten Words, A Practical Look at the Ten Commandments. And I already have in my hands the author copies of Blessed Are, A Practical Look at the Beatitudes. You can pick that up pretty soon at PentecostalPublishing.com. And if you use promo code SIMPLIFY, you can get that for 10% off your entire order. Whether you order little, you order a lot. If you use it for the first time, Promo code SIMPLIFY, you can get 10% off your entire order at PentecostalPublishing.com. Some pretty exciting things are coming up this week. The Formed Conference, training teachers in the local church. If you teach children, youth, or adults in the local church, you need to register for Formed. It's a virtual conference, all online. You don't have to leave the comfort of your church campus or living room if you're registered as an individual. You can watch Formed all online, 17 experienced, effective teachers sharing practical tips on how to teach children, youth, and adults. All that information and registration is available at formed.upci.org. It will air August 12th at 9 a.m. Central, and you can register now and watch up to six months later. So if you need to register now, schedule now, and watch later, you can do that up to six months later. Next week... We continue our walk through this book of Judges, and I want to share with you a devotion called Torches, Trumpets, and Pictures. Oh my! I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week, and always look forward to walking closer with Jesus as we walk through Simplified.